we were in the gift series and we had an opportunity to celebrate on Friday night, our team celebration night. And uh, we had an amazing time here. Look at this, we've got a photo. Photo, look at this, shocking. You put a photo booth in here with uh, props and people go crazy. I mean, honestly, we had an amazing time celebrating. If you're part of a team, you would have been invited to come and celebrate all that God is doing in us and through us, and for us to honor each other and say thank you for the service uh, to the Lord. And we've had such a fun time, huge pile of dishes, a great band, great time. This is our, our inaugural, inaugural team celebration night. It is annual, so uh, you're going to have to, if you missed it, don't worry. You'll have to wait until next, uh, next year, but it was an amazing time together, so... Um, and, oh, look, Parrot, two, two, 2019. There you go. If that's you, go and get your child, I believe. <laughs> so we had an amazing night. But here we are um, at the final gift series. And, um, you know, the anchor text for our talk or our series has been from 1 Peter 4.10. We've been talking about this every week. And I take this from the New Century translation. It says this, each of you has received a gift to use to serve others. Be good servants of God's various gifts of grace. What does gifts of grace mean? In other words, gifts that empower us to do that which God is calling us to do. That's what grace is. Grace doesn't cover up bad living, it empowers right living. That's what grace is. So when God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, it was, you can still do that which I'm calling you to do in spite of everything around you. And so gifts of grace, we often call them gracelets. These are things that empower you to serve others. And if you only take away one thing from this six weeks, there's one thing you take away, take this. God has uniquely gifted you to serve others. He hasn't passed you by. This message is not for the person on the left of you or the right of you or the person in front of you. This is for you. God has given you a gift to serve others. In other words, you have your part to play. And we've been exploring that over the past few weeks. It's just been amazing have it, celebrating the teams in this place. It's been wonderful. But as I bring the series to an end, I want to close where I started and ask the question, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? And it is indeed one of the most important questions God can ever ask you. What is in your hand? Of course, another question is, do you love me and do you trust me and do you give your life to me? But probably the third or fourth or maybe the second is what is in your hand? Why is that? Let me just clarify. God doesn't ask you because he doesn't know. <laughs> it's not like when I've got my kids, I'm saying, what have you got in your hand there? It's not that. When God asks you what's in your hands, he does so because he wants to open your eyes to what he wants to do in you and through you. That is why he asks you the question. In other words, it's an invitation to partner with him. So when God says what is in your hand, you're about to embark on an amazing journey. And we see that throughout the whole of scriptures. And when I thought about this series, there were two particular stories that I wanted to tell. The first one was the, the boy with the little loaves and fishes. And we looked at that at week one, catch up if you missed it on our website or our app. And we looked at John 6. This little boy looked in his hands and he had this little food and God took that and fed thousands. What a great story. But there is another story that I wanted to end with. And we're going to read about a man whose destiny was changed when God asked him the question, what is in your hands? Where his answer caused the nation to be saved and to be set free from slavery where his response meant that he brought the people to the edge of their very promised land. Anyone know? 
Moses, exactly, Moses. Now, let me just bring you up to speed before we get to the question. Moses was born into Egypt at such a time where the Pharaoh of the day sent an edict out that said any newborn baby boy needs to be killed. Heard that one before? Because he was fearful of the rising of all the Hebrews. Because, of course, the Pharaoh before him was good friends with Joseph, but Joseph had gone. This was a long time before. And so Moses is born into this time, and his mother whisks him away and puts him into a basket of reeds. We've all, probably some of us, been through Sunday school as a kid, and can remember the pictures of little Moses in the basket. And then Pharaoh's daughter comes along and sees this little baby, takes the baby Moses and raises him in the palace as an Egyptian. And Moses grows, and then eventually... He probably, he's walking around and he sees, he realizes he's a Hebrew and he sees his fellow Hebrew brothers persecuted and he kills an Egyptian. But then Pharaoh finds out about this and starts, uh, says, well, I'm going to come and kill you. And he flees Egypt to the backside of the desert and he becomes a shepherd. And for 40 years, that is where we join the story of Moses on the backside of the desert. And we're going to read Exodus Chapter 3, so do turn there with, you, with me. Exodus chapter 3, it is the second book of the Bible, so it's fairly easy to find. And uh, I'm just going to pass this to someone down here to take this from me, because I seem to kick the basket. There you go, thank you. We're going to read that together, Moses. Um, so it's chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 to 4, and then we're going to uh, jump to 9 and 10. Let's read this together, it'll be on the screen as well. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush was on fire. It did not burn. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him and from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Let's jump to verse 9. And we'll read 9 and 10. And now the cry, this is God speaking to Moses, of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way of the Egyptians and oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And let's jump to chapter 4. We're going to look at 1 and 3. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. What an amazing story. First minute, he sees a burning bush, then he sees a snake. What a morning he must have had. Very different to the past 40 years of being a shepherd. And what I love about this story is that hidden in plain sight are five truths to serving. Five truths to serving. And I want to go through these with us because I think if we can catch these, we're going to be world changers. Seriously. If we can catch these, we're going to change... Not only our lives, but the lives of people around us. And so I want to get this, okay? So here is the first truth. Number one, look out for the burning bush in unexpected places. Look out for the burning bush in unexpected places. Let's understand this, right? Moses was in the backside of the desert, far from anywhere, far from 
from civilization, far from the epicenter, all seemingly alone, definitely not the place that you would expect God to go looking for a savior of his people. Think about this. Surely, surely God should have gone to the important houses and to the institute of smart and gifted people. I made that up. That's obviously not in the Bible. You know, if I was God, and I say this with respect, I would not go to the desert looking for someone to lead my people. I would go to the universities and to the smart people. But God doesn't do that. God goes to an unexpected place. You know, what do we find? He probably finds Moses here. You know, Moses would have experienced failure. He made a serious mistake. He's run away from persecution. And while geographically he is on the outskirts, I reckon mentally and emotionally he disqualified himself and set himself aside too. How many of us have done that? I've been in those desert places, by the way, when I've had loads of people around me. Because I've gone and retreated and thought, well, it can't be me. God can't use me. I made a mess up. And we run away. How many of you have been there and done it and said, I've burnt and I'm not going to do it again? I'm going to give up. You know, we've got to remember, you see, Moses felt way back that calling to set the Hebrews free, but... He executed it at the wrong time, in the wrong way. It wasn't that that calling from the Lord was wrong. It was that it was a wrong time and he did it, more importantly, in his own strength. And some of us, we've been to that place. It's not that the calling that we felt is wrong. It's just that we've run ahead of God. And so we look back and say, well, that's not for me anymore. And we find ourselves in the desert. But let me tell you, it's in that place that the Lord reaches out to you. You're never too far from God. It's in that place that he speaks and restores. And isn't that how he always works? What about David, the shepherd in the fields who went and reached out to him? Or to Gideon in the threshing floor, he reached out to him. And so don't ever discount and disqualify yourself because you think, that's it, I'm now in a desert place. The burning bush is set fire in unexpected places. And how did Moses respond in this story? I love it. He says, here I am. You know, earlier in the year, we looked at the story of Samuel when God was speaking. And Samuel said, here I am. And that is our right and proper response. But the thing is, are we actually listening? Are we listening? You see, he often reaches out to us. But because we feel disqualified, it's like we close our ears to him. It's like we close our eyes to the opportunities I've done it in my life so many times. I'm like, you know, God can't use me. And what I find, I've just blocked my ears from him. And what I find is I've almost put shades over my eyes. And so when the burning bushes come, I ignore them. When those burning bushes of need around me and I feel prompted that I can help, I think, well, no, it's not for me. But when there's an opportunity to pray for someone, I see that burning bush opportunity. And I don't because I think, well, I'm not a very good prayer. Etc., etc., etc. We have burning bush opportunities And yet we close ourselves off to them because oftentimes we disqualify ourselves. But let me tell you, God reaches out in the desert place. And so if if that resonates with you this morning, you say, you know what, I think I've probably done that. I want to encourage you this morning that the burning bush is set fire in unexpected places. And don't disqualify yourself. Number two, what else can we learn from this amazing story? God delights in partnering with you. The second truth of serving. 
You know, we read in chapter 3, verse 8, I love this, God comes down to Moses uh, well, in the burning bush and says this, I, I have come down to rescue them. Now at that point, I reckon Moses is like, wow, that's wonderful. Thank you. Good job, Lord. Go for it. I mean, I tried and I failed, but at least you're here. I get to watch. It's going to be fun. You know, I said at the start of this series, when we hear God is going to move, there is a danger that we mentally get out the popcorn and pull out a pew and then say, oh, this is going to be fun. But what happens in this story, (laughs) two verses later, God says this to Moses, so now go, I'm sending you. What? Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Backtrack two verses earlier. You said you were going to do it. I know I did. Well, that doesn't make sense. Now you're saying I've got to do it. You see, that's how God works. You see, walking with Jesus is not a spectator sport. I wanted to let you know this. Everyone gets to play. That isn't just a cool phrase. It's the essence of discipleship. It's the essence of we walk with Jesus. We don't sit down and watch him walk. And for some of us, we think this is a spectator sport. I don't have my part to play. God will do it all. But this is not what happens in the story. How does it work, this thing called partnering with Jesus? Philippians 4.13. Paul says this, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It is one of the most amazing mysteries, don't you think, of, of God and of the gospel, that God partners with us in the extension of his kingdom. I find that fascinating. Have you heard that phrase, if you want something done well, do it yourself? God did not invent that phrase. Just want to clarify that. Okay, so, you know, I do some DIY sometimes. Steph's hair, so she'll keep me in check. Sometimes being the operative word. Um, and, I, you know, I get my toolbox out and I, I might, you know, tighten some screws. I mean, that's the extent of my skill set. Um, but sometimes my little boy Daniel brings his little toolkit out and, bless him, he wants to help Daddy. Which on one level is amazing. On the other level, I just want to get it done. If I'm completely honest. But actually, if I take the time, what I love about it is I delight in the fact that he wants to copy me. I delight in the fact that he wants to listen to me for instruction sometimes. <laughs> I delight in the fact that he wants to be with me. I want him to be with me. I, I look back and those are the type of moments that I cherish. And our Father in heaven is no different. He doesn't partner with us because he needs us to do something. He partners with us because he delights in it. And you see, if you have a false view of your father in heaven, that he's some kind of remote general in a safe house somewhere and pushes you out to the front line, you'll never want to spend time with him. But if you realize that your heavenly father loves you and wants to spend time with you, then you'll look for those opportunities to walk in your giftings. Because you realize you're not doing it on your own. You realize that you're doing it with him, and he strengthens you. And for some of you this morning, you might just need to just shift that thinking. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, would your truth come now and just change the way we think about you. And you might want some prayer after the service. My right, your left, the team will pray with you. You might have a false view of your father in heaven. You see him as some remote, shouty kind of dad. Because you know what, Mark, that's the kind of dad I grew up with. Let me just say this, God wants to heal you of that so you can have a right view of your heavenly father. He wants to get his toolbox and your toolbox of gifts out and do it together. 
That's how God has done it. That's why, Mo, that's why God said to Moses, come on, let's go do this thing together. It would have been much easier for God to do it. But he delighted in Moses, and he delights in each one of you. Number three, we're moving forward. Number three, here we go. God partners with us in response to someone's need. God partners with us in response to someone's need. Why did God call Moses? It says this in chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. You see, God hears the needs of his people, and he sends you to meet them. That's how it works. God hears the needs of his people, and he sends you to meet those needs. You know, we've heard it said, haven't we, that we are Jesus' hands and feet. We heard that phrase. It's so true. You know, God didn't do amazing miracles through Moses in order that Moses could set up a magic show and be an entertainer. God didn't do amazing things through Moses so that Moses could get a name for himself. God did it in order that Moses would set God's people free. And by the way, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. God's children are still out there in bondage and still in here in bondage. And you are called, just like Moses has, to set his people free. Why do you think we're here? Why do you think we're here? And so God partners with us in response to someone else's need. You know, I love the story of John Wimber, the founder of Wimber, uh, founder of Wimber, founder of Vineyard. And uh, when he really came to the Lord, he was going to a church and he was getting really excited about reading the New Testament and specifically the book of Acts in terms of what the early church did, the healings and the deliverance and the, the social change. And he went up to the pastor and said, Pastor, this is brilliant. When do we get to do the stuff? And the pastor said, whoa, whoa, no, we don't do the stuff. <laughs> that happened then. We just read about it. But here's a newsflash. We get to do the stuff. Why? Because there's still a need out there until Jesus comes again. And so every one of us, every one of us has been given a gift in order that we can serve one another. If you're not serving somebody in your world, then you're not living a fulfilled Christian life. Wow, did he just say that? Is he allowed to say that? I think so. It's in the Bible. Every one of us should be serving each other because we're here to extend God's love and his grace and his mercy in most amazing ways. And this leads me to point number four. Point number four, your gifts will be used in ways you never imagined. You know, we, it brings us to the question, chapter four, verse two, then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And as I said before, it, God doesn't ask it, this question because he didn't know what was in Moses' hand. And I think Moses probably, you can imagine his response, uh... It's stuff. <laughs> is this a trick question? The God of the heavens is asking me what's in my hand. Oh boy, I'm in trouble. Oh, that's what I'd be like, you know. But I'll go with it, Lord. This is a staff. <laughs> it's an ordinary staff. It's made of wood. And what I do with it is I, get, I use it to pull the sheep and sometimes to discipline the sheep. It's just a staff. It's just a staff. And how many of us, therefore, have looked at our gifts and say, well, that's just my gift? It's just ordinary. I do this with it. I do that with it. It's the same old, same old. But what, do, what happens? We read the story. God says, throw it on the ground, and it turns into a snake. What? But that was a staff. You see, this seemingly ordinary staff was the same staff that parted the waters and set them free. 
This ordinary, ordinary staff was the same staff that when knocked onto a rock, fresh living water came. This same old, same old, very, very familiar staff was the same staff that when the Israelites looked up, they were healed. But what? It was just a staff. But all I did was speak to someone for five minutes, and, and now they know about Jesus, and they're leading thousands to Jesus. But I, I just spoke. But all I did was I just used my gift of encouragement to encourage someone, and now look what they're doing for the Lord. It's amazing. But, you know, all I did was take my cooking skills and, and, and make someone a meal, and it's transformed their life because they've received the love of Jesus. But I just cooked. But all I did was take my ordinary driving skills and my ordinary car and give someone a lift to church and look how they prayed for someone and they were healed. You see, the problem is we look at our gifts and we look at it from a human perspective and say, this is just ordinary. But God's saying, I can do something amazing with your gifts. When the little boy looked at his little fish and loaves, he said, well, this is just an ordinary little food. And it fed thousands. If you want to walk in the miraculous... We need to stop looking at things through a human perspective. The problem we have, the problem I have, is that I don't have enough faith. And what do I mean by that? It's not that you can muster up faith. I'm saying it's that I don't believe that when God says he can do amazing things through me, he means it. That's the problem. I think that's the problem for all of us. But let me tell you, God will take your ordinary and make it extraordinary. That's, that's how God works. He will take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. Never discount the small, because it can change a nation. And that leads me to number five of these truths. You will have to lay it down. It costs to serve. You see, in this story, what happened? God required Moses to throw the staff down before he could use it. He first had to give it up before he could pick it up again. And that's always how it works with God. We have to lay down our gifts for him. We read what happened, don't we? He, when he chose to lay down this lifeless bit of wooden staff, it then turned into life. He picked it up again, held onto it, turned back to a staff. You read the story. You see, as long as you hold onto your gifting, it's dead. As long as you hold back and hold on to it and don't use it to serve, there's no life in your gift. You can be the most gifted person, but as long as you hold it onto yourself, it's dead. The smallest good deed is better than the grandest intention. God is not looking for capability, he's looking for availability. God was testing Moses, are you going to believe me and have faith? Are you going to be obedient when I say serve? And even though it sounded crazy to Moses, what am I going to drop the staff for? He was obedient and he gave it up. And life came. And this really comes down to one of the most amazing mysteries and truths of the gospel, which is this. When you lose your life, when you die to yourself, you will find it. When you sacrifice, when you give it up for him, you find your life. John 12, 24. Let me just give you this. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You see, for Moses, this staff, think about it. 
It represented financial security. This was the tool of his trade, but he was willing to let it go for Jesus. For Moses, the staff represented his identity as a shepherd. Think about it. But he was willing to let it go. He was willing to let go his status. And after, this is the most amazing thing in this scripture. From that moment on, when he laid that staff down, the staff is called in the scriptures the staff of God. Isn't that amazing? No longer was it his staff. It was the staff of God. And if we want to mature as Christians, as we want to walk with Jesus, as we want to see lives around us transformed, we're going to have to give it up for him. And we're going to recognize that we have to be obedient and say, I'll follow you wherever you go, and I give it all to you, Lord Jesus. And so the question is, are you willing to lay down your gifts so that it becomes his gift? Are you willing to give it up so that he can use it and he can direct you? Are you willing to let go of your fears, your securities, your status, your position, whatever it might be that you can't die to self, are you willing to let go and drop it for him? Because really, that's what it comes down to. You know, when Jesus said, he said, pick up your cross and follow me, I find that striking. Why are you saying that, Jesus? Isn't it about your cross and what you did for me? So that I can take out the popcorn and sit on the sofa. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I love that. A good movie. But listen to what I'm saying. If we want to mature as Christians, if we want to see lives change around us, then we need to recognize that we need to die to self and pick up our cross. Because it's only when we die to ourselves and give it up for him that he will do something extraordinary through us. I'd like to end with a story. This is a true story that I think does a perfect job of summing all this up in this whole series. Dr. Frank Mayfield was touring the Talksby Institute. On his way out, he asked an elderly floor maid, what can you tell me about the history of this place? The maid led him down to the basement where she pointed to one of what looked like small prison cells. Their iron bars rusted with age. That's the cage where they used to keep Annie, she said. Who's Annie? The doctor asked. Annie was a young girl who was brought in here because nobody could do anything with her. The doctors and nurses couldn't even examine her. I'd see them trying with her spitting and scratching at them. I used to think I sure would hate to be locked up in a cage like that. I wanted to help her, but I didn't have any idea what I could do. So I just baked her some brownies one night after work. The next day I brought them in. I walked carefully to her cage and said, Annie, I baked these brownies just for you. I'll put them just right here on the floor and you can come and get them if you want. Then I got out of there just as fast as I could because I was afraid that she might throw them at me. But she didn't. She actually took the brownies and ate them. After that, she was just a little bit nicer to me when I was around. Sometimes I'd talk to her. Once I even got her laughing. One of the nurses noticed this and she told the doctors. They asked me if I'd help them with Annie. So that's how it came about that every time they wanted to see Annie or examine her, I went to the cage first and explained and calmed her down and held her hand. Just how they discovered that Annie was almost blind. After they'd been working with her for about a year, the Perkins Institute for the Blind opened its doors. 
They were able to help her and she went on to study and become a teacher herself. Annie came back to the Talksby Institute to visit and to see what she could do to help. At first, the doctor didn't say anything, but then he thought about a letter he had just received. A man had written to him about his daughter. She was absolutely unruly, almost like an animal. He'd been told she was blind and deaf as well as deranged. He was at his wit's end, but he didn't want to put her in an asylum. So he wrote to ask if they knew of anyone, any teacher, who would come to his house and work with his daughter. And that is how Annie Sullivan became the lifelong companion of Helen Keller. When Helen Keller received the Nobel Prize, she was asked who had the greatest impact on her life. And she said, Annie Sullivan. But Annie said, no, Helen. The woman who had the greatest influence on both our lives was a floor maid at the Talksbury Institute. Floor maid saw a need and just took her ordinary gift of making brownies and changed lives around her. Each one of us can make a brownie. Each one of us is called to serve other with the various gifts of grace God has given us. And as we do it, God will take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. Let us stand together as I invite the band up. You know, whenever I preach, I ask God two questions. First one is, what are you saying? And the second is, why are you saying it now? Of all the things, Lord, that you could be saying to us, why are you choosing to say this to us now at this time? And you know, I felt the Lord say this, because too many of my people are choosing to stay in the desert. Too many are ignoring the call to serve because they have disqualified themselves. Too many people have looked at what they have and said, that's just plain old ordinary. Too many people have discounted themselves. If that's you, I want to pray for you in a moment. But the Lord also said to me, Mark, this is a message for now because so many people are unwilling to die to themselves and to give it up for me. They've been holding on for it for so long, but there's no life in it. Let us bow our heads. Come, Lord Jesus. I want to give you just an opportunity. If this message is, if this, the Lord has spoken to you and you find yourself either in those camps or indeed it, this has struck you in any other way, I just want you to just do some business with the Lord and just speak to him now. Maybe you're saying, Lord, forgive me for disqualifying myself. Forgive me for accepting the lie of the enemy that I'm a failure. Maybe say, Lord, I'm ready for that burning bush that's you, just speak to the Lord. Or maybe thus far you've been unwilling to lay it down for him. You've been fearful and scared of, of what other people will think or how God will provide for you as you lay it down. If that's you, you do business with the Lord as well. Come Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray that you would just 
Put your spirit upon us, Lord, that you would set us free from those that have responded to this word and they have spoken to you, Lord. I pray that they would bear fruit for you, that you would open their eyes to those burning bush times and experiences, that, Lord, you would open their eyes to what you want to do in them and through them. And, Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would give us the courage and the boldness to make those small steps, knowing that as we do, we can change the lives around us. For your name's sake, we pray this. Amen. Let us worship the Lord together. Thank you, Lord.